0: I just need to take five and just go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> From the My guest today is Matt Moffat. Matt's story into his foray of his chosen horse sport of camp drafting is a little bit different to most. Matt grew up in Gracemere and uh, is the son of a baker. So, Matt, tell us, how did this all happen that you've now become one of... Australia's leading camp drafters.
1: Um, growing up as a kid, we sort of were just skilled kids in the local town of Gracemere, and um, I've always had the love for horses. I don't know where it come from or, or how I got it. It's sort of, yeah, I'm not really quite sure. We grew up at, going to school at St Paul's and Gracemere, and we did the local sports, you know, like soccer and football, and, and did that all the way up until sort of late sort of primary school, grade seven and then uh went to at the end of grade seven I think there was a Jim Carner at, at school and then one of my friends at school rode horses. And um yeah, we ended up ended up learning how to ride somehow I don't know how, but within a couple of weeks and, and did the the inner school Jim Carner at Alton Downs and yeah, it's all started sort of from there. We sort of went to Pony Club and went through the rankings there and then yeah, moved on to Campbell and later on down the track.
0: So when you went home and went and said to your father, who gets up every morning at some ridiculous hour to go to the baker shop in Gracemere, I want to go and buy a horse, Dad, and go to Pony Club, what on earth did he say?
1: Oh, I think Dad sort of liked it. Dad always sort of liked horses, but uh, Mum was the tough one to get through. She, um, she sort of put the foot down for a while and we battled and battled and then we ended up getting a horse, which was great. Um, yeah.
0: And that takes a lot of commitment. It took a lot of commitment from your parents and from yourself to, to maintain it. Um, so paint us a picture of what every weekend looked like for Matt Moffat once he started going to pony club and riding horses.
1: Um, I'm I'm not quite sure. It's sort of just, yeah, we just, a weekend we'd go away to, you know, it start off just at pony club, our local sort of events. Like, um, you know, you get a pony club once a month and,
0: and which pony club?
1: Um, Gracemere pony club. Um, started there and yeah, we did the local things and then I started getting into the Jim Carners which were local, like around Rockhampton and we did them and then um they had a they had a camp draft for the pony club. Um, couple of years down the track after doing pony club and, and yeah, I saddled up my horse and in a um in a pony club saddle and a pair of Jodpers and, and yeah, had a go at my first camp draft and I got round for the first time, had a crack at it and yeah, the drug started then.
0: <laughs> it is a bit of a drug, isn't it? So, uh, you know, to get where you are now has been a long road. Who do you attribute your your love for the sport? And I guess you obviously have a natural ability to do it. You've come a long way in a very short time. And considering you were a late starter in the game, even in the game of horse riding, most of your competitors would have been riding horses probably since they were f- three or four. You were kicking soccer balls and, and playing football at that age. When you were 16, well, it would have been younger than 16, when you were 13 or 14, someone must have looked at you and said, are you sure you want to have another go, mate? We think you can do it. Who do you attribute that person
1: to be? Oh, my parents, they're my rock. They, um, they've they been quite good. They, Yeah, if I say I'm going to do it, they're there to back me every step of the way. And if I say I want to quit, they don't, you know, they just... They just back off a fraction and, and they let me think about it and, and ask me if it's the right thing to do. My dad's probably my biggest inspiration, you know, like to get up out of bed every morning and go to work, sort of. That drives me every day to be like him. Like, it's a different different area as in um, occupation, but, yeah, that drive that he's got to get out of bed every morning for the last 35 years to do what he does makes me, sort of moulds me to who I am, sort of, today. Uh, at what age
0: did you... um? did you start to just to follow the drafts you know on a more serious serious uh... um, I
1: think I was about I was about 15 year old and I did a few and, and I started to get the hang of it a little bit my horses weren't that great they were just nice horses I was fortunate to have horses at all let alone good ones so um, I had them and I don't know where I got the idea from but my mates in the same little bit older than me were doing the juvenile ACA title at the time and I thought oh holy do that's pretty cool so I think about 16 months of started draft and I started doing the I went for the juvenile title in season 13 14 and yeah it just started from there I got the win there and I got, I got to win the finals the juvenile the ACA finals at nebo and yeah it was sort of a dream come true from there
0: how many I, I know there was a lot a big commitment by by a lot of people to get you over that line how many drafts did you do in that in that year to, to get to that title because for those who don't know to get to that it's a points system, and you only achieve points by attending drafts, and uh, and so you must have went to a lot of drafts over the course of that that you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen months prior.
1: I don't know exact, but we did between forty and fifty drafts that for that season, and yeah, that was just it was full commitment. A um, few times there, I think I started to look after look over my shoulder and ask if it was all worth it, but I um yeah. Pulled my pants up and kept going, it was sort of...
0: Yeah, you know, as the son of someone who's not from the land, you would have met some resistance, I, I take it, from from kids who thought that they should have been you and weren't you. And so what did you do to, uh, like you say, pull your pants up and go, well, you know what, I don't really care what you think. This is my goal and I'm going to do it. Did you know? Did you have a fellow camp drafter who said, mate, don't worry about that? Or was it again your parents who said, this is our, our gig and our game and uh, we'll do it?
1: Yeah, no, it was sort of you get few people have a little few cheap shots at you that make you get driven and I've got a strong personality where my ego's quite big. I try and use that as a bit of a tool um, towards myself to keep going. Um, yeah, there was a few kids and a few people give me a few cheap shots along the way and, you know, at the start it'd hit you and you'd feel down and then you'd just pick up and go again and, and just keep striving. I think uh, my personality really helped me branch out and meet new people, which was good. Um, I had a lot of people, a lot of people, and I asked a lot of questions, and I think my personality helped me along the way. Like, was a bit of a key to my success, because growing up with people that weren't in the game, I had to learn to expand very quickly to other fellow people around me to learn to adapt to the camp drafting game, so I was always searching for information off people and trying to get knowledge to get better. So was that any
0: people, or did you did you sort of sit on the rail and watch a few and think they're the ones I'm going to ask some advice yeah, for, yep, or exactly, you? Um... Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, no, there was key people that I've watched over the years, and and as I've grown up, I've branched out, and I'm still friends with all them people. I just I took a bit of information off everybody and and created my own sort of style. Oh well, not my own style, but just got to to learn off every other people and take the things that work for me more than anything.
0: So you won the juvenile title. That was a you know a great excitement for for lots of people and particularly your parents for after the commitment that they'd put in. So what happened then? Did you think, I've done it, I'll, uh, you know, that's it? Or uh, was the drug, you would well and truly addicted by then?
1: Yeah, no, I was addicted by then, but I, I wanted to learn more and get better at the, at training horses in general. So I had a couple of years off learning how to do that and branched out and got some really good people behind so who taught me. You that? Um, Cameron Parker's been probably my main rock. You know, I've learned off Rick Hopkins, Cameron Parker, Pete Comiskey, Steve Comiskey, they've all, they've all helped me. But Cameron's been, training-wise, has been my biggest help. He's a well-respected, very well-respected
0: horseman throughout the nation. What were the sort of things that he said to you when you went to him? Cameron's a very humble man. Did he, you know, did he say, mate, you need to just calm your farm and, uh... And this is what how you do it and do it well, or did he did he encourage your your big personality and that's what you've got? How did he go about that?
1: Um, no, he he's sort of got very sort of similar personality to me. He's he's a lot more highly strung than me, but um, our personalities click really well, and and I think that's why I've been there, like been with him for such a long time. But uh, my personality doesn't like discomfort, so. His main thing to me, he always said, when you're in discomfort, you're going to have a breakthrough here in a minute. So be patient, you know. So, yeah, that was his biggest key words to me. Whenever whenever you're uh, feeling discomfort or you feel like you can't achieve something, just keep doing what you're doing and you'll have a breakthrough here in a minute. And so
0: when you're out there out on the course, when you get that feeling of discomfort where you think this is all going to end badly, is that when you hear Cameron sitting on your shoulder going, you just better...
1: Oh, it, it pops up in the back of your head and you have a bit of a giggle to yourself because you think it's not true, but, yeah, it most more than likely it, it shows up every time. You just you just got to be patient and you just got to feel the discomfort for a bit and, and keep smiling and, then yeah, it goes from there.
0: You know, to do this sport and do it as well as, as you have and do, you've got to have some good horses under you. Tell us a bit about the breeding of your horses and have you bred them? Do you buy them? What do you look for when you go you go to buy a horse or, or breed a horse? i
1: got a heap of horses there, um, some of my own and some of clients um, that I've created friendships with over the last sort of couple of years. Yeah, I don't know. I think most people can find, can see natural ability in horses, like a good ones stand out obviously. Um, that's sort of what we try and look for and I suppose the biggest thing is money-wise, like to buy a really good one that someone else wants, they're worth a lot of money. But, yeah, we got horses from Acres, Destinies, the Conmans, to One More Daddy, to One Stylish Pep day, like all the modern-day breedings out of old-bred mares like Spinifex mares and Docks Freckle Oak mares. And, and so
0: they're the horses you own or are they some of the ones you're campaigning?
1: Uh, campaigning and own. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't bred a lot myself because I haven't been in the game long enough to have good enough mares to go and breed, but... We're just starting a bit of a program now, embryoing mares that we own, and starting to breed now because now we've got some good ones. We wanna we want to multiply them.
0: You did really well, and you've done really well on a horse called Kitson, and uh, he would be your rock. What's what's his story, and how did you end up with him?
1: Um, it was it's actually a quite a funny story. So at the end of my juvenile year, Pete Comiskey gave me a big hand. Um, towards the end of it when I needed someone and, and he put his hand up and gave me a hand and as we went along we created a friendship and I wanted a I wanted a trained good gowling. Like I've never had a um never had a really great horse as in trained wise. They were just sort of bush horses that, you know, I'd kick about and, and all that. Anyway, we went to Tamworth one year and there we had two gowlings picked out. Kitten was one and there was another one we missed out on. Anyway, we bought this horse and, and we got him back to Pete Comisky's and we rode him and I loved him, so I took him home. And, and yeah, the story starts from there. I think the first weekend I got him home, I won an open on him straight away at, at mole Gildy. And I think we went to, yeah, three or four weekends in a row, I won two or three juveniles and an open on him. And, and yeah, from there it's just been a breeze. Yeah.
0: And he's probably close to your best mate. He's a good old good old nag. Yeah,
1: no, he's, he's a good old horse. He he looks after all the foals at home. And
0: he, How old is he now?
1: Oh, I think he's about 13.
0: He's still got a bit of life in him yet. So Matt Moffat and Kitson will still be a force to be reckoned with for a little while yet. Have you got anything else coming along who, who reminds you of him, or who you think is is you know will be as faithful to you as he is? And do you think it takes a lot of effort to get them to that stage, or do you identify pretty quickly? You know, when you get on a horse, yeah, this is going to be a good horse. Or do you think you put a lot of time and effort into it to then walk away some days and go, the thing is never going to be any good?
1: My biggest thing is I think if you like going outside and you want to put them and you like riding them, they're the ones that are going to excel because they're the ones you're going to put time into. If, like, like I haven't been in the horse game long, but I, I definitely know if there's ones you don't like riding, sell them and go and get another one because they don't stop making them and and while you are in the down, that you're not enjoying it, you know, the less you're going to want to go outside and ride them. So my biggest thing is, yeah, I, you know, all my younger ones that I fiddle around with, the ones that sort of click to me and suit me and... And yeah, like obviously, there's a certain style of horse that people you can't explain to people what you like about them. Sometimes it's it's a bit of a bond sort of thing. But um, yeah, I got some nice ones at home that are going to fulfil his shoes down the track, and and yeah, they'll come through and and take his spot in a few years time. So you left school. What'd you do then? Left school. I went and worked for my parents at the bakery in Gracemere, and did rode horses every afternoon with Cameron. Um. Yeah, we learnt, I sort of learnt as I went along for about well, 12, 18 months doing that. It was sort of a lot different. I wasn't sort of used to the, the bakery thing, but it was good. And then, um, yeah, then I just developed a clientele somehow or I'm not sure quite how it come about it. But, yeah, I started getting outside horses and they just sort of kept flowing in and then and, and, and we went from there. So when
0: you did that 18 months with Cameron, did he sort of say to you... I think, mate, it's now time for you to step up and get back on and and get back out in the competitive arena or or did you just sort of think, you know, this is all getting a bit repetitive here now, I need to, to have a go if I'm going to make this work?
1: Yeah, no, the biggest thing was um, I knew after the mid-juvenile thing I had to go and get more knowledge and better horses to do. The next title above it is the associate rider and the points excel through all the rankings, like the maiden, novice, the open and the restricted, which means you're versing majority of the country or or who's in them drafts at at that time. Where the juvenile was just two horses, you're only versing kids. So I knew leaving the juvenile, I had to go and get more horses and more horsepower and more knowledge to to step up to the next level. So um, I tried to go and learn as much as I could out there. And then um, Cameron's mates and that, which are... My clientele nearly now have um, helped me get to this point in time. There's a couple of people in particular that have really helped me here and and everyone else has pitched in, but there's two people um, individually that have really, really been my rock with the horse game as well as Cameron.
0: And they are?
1: Uh, Jason and Amy Penny from Kilcoy and David Bell from, I'm not sure where he's from, he's in the middle of South Australia somewhere. And so what
0: does a day look like for Matt Moffat now? I guess you're not the bakery anymore.
1: No, wake up every morning and, and feed horses, um, feed 20, 30 horses and go and have breakfast and then hook into them, start like, riding them and yeah. And try.
0: so you've now got a business, is that what you do for a living?
1: Yeah, that's what I do for a living now, yeah. Yep. yep.
0: And, and still based at Gracemere, doing that?
1: Yep, still based in Gracemere.
0: Yeah. Do you actively look for clients and horses or has it just evolved that through your talent and, and your success... That people come to you. you know, is it a you know I, I a,
1: like to think it's that way because I'd like to think my product that I'm creating for my business is what some people want. So I think you just got to, like you say, keep doing what you're doing and believe in the process that you've taken the road down. And I think if the talent and the and the skill and everything lines up for you, I think you have a a good business to move on with.
0: So let's take a step back. When a horse comes to you, are they broken? Or do you start from ground zero?
1: Uh, Some horses I've started from the ground up, but I've only done them for sort of my main clients Um, just because they take so much time. I know how much time's in it and I've got too many horses to to do that. Um, But yeah, most of them sort of come to home from all ages, from two-year-old up, broken in. And then, yeah, we just work out. Whether or not they're going to be worth spending money on, and 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 if the people, whether or not I like them or not, if the people just like them, will we we get them to a point where they're gonna they're gonna take them on and draft them themselves. So, what is it that you don't like
0: and go, yeah, you probably need to come and take this horse back. It's not for me.
1: Oh, some horses just don't make the team. It's a bit like me being a um being a fullback for the Broncos. Like I'm built. I'm built to be a front railer, so I'm never going to make the team. And I don't like wasting people's money. And, like, if someone's got a horse that they really love and adore and and they just want to go for what they want to do, that's fine. I'm happy with that. But most horses I get sent, they've got to make the team to be on the truck. So they either make the cut or we get them to a certain point where we can sell them or go to a sale. Or they might even be just for, you know, if if they... Aren't that great? And usually some of them people I ride for I've got kids, well, they just go to be kids' horses.
0: So you say make the team and you just said you've got, you know, between 20 and 30 horses there. Clearly you can't take 20 or 30 horses to a draft every weekend. Do you decide an individual draft for a horse or is it um, the horse that you put the, you know, you're really trying to get it to a title or wh- who gets the cut for the weekend? So
1: it sort of, it works out. So there's, we got, I think, I don't have how many open, I think i have got three or four open horses. And um, I sort of try and save them for the bigger shows. And then, yeah, for the littler shows, I think I've got a couple of rookie horses this year. So because they're only first starting out, they're not going to go every weekend. So they're going to get two or three drafts in a row and then they might get a month or two off or six weeks off and then they'll get a few more drafts and then, um you got ones that are coming through the ranking that are going to – they need to start being stable on the truck to keep them getting better. And, yeah, they all just sort of – like, you know, there's a big – there's probably 14 horses I can take to a camp draft and and I only take probably eight or nine at the most. So the younger ones just get differed around. And, and yeah, like the older ones – most of the older ones stay on the truck most of the time, Um, but the other ones, they differ through the maiden and novice rankings and, yeah some get sore some go lame um some break status, some have a break yeah there's all little things up your sleeve that you don't know is coming around the corner so
0: so when you you know you've got a rookie horse to the listener out there who doesn't know much about horses do they take the most time i guess is it cameron smith and an upcoming melbourne storm player I'm pretty sure Craig Bellamy doesn't put the same time and effort into Cameron Smith anymore that he puts into the the young fellow who's just made the first time run on side for, for the A-grade football. Do you spend a lot more time with your rookies and the the open horses who you've ridden a lot, who you know know what to do? Is it, you know, for them, it's just more of a, a keep them fit and a feed and get on the truck because you know what's going on. And the rookie horses are the ones that you spend a lot of time with during the day when you're doing Matt Moffat's working day,
1: yep, yep. Now you got to spend a lot more time on them younger ones, and and yeah, the old ones they just run on the football field like they they went there last week. Like that's they they know their job and that's what they do, and just got to keep them healthy and fit, you know, and not sore and things like that. But yeah, the the younger ones you got to it's, it's the same thing. You got to spend time with them and before and after a run, bit like a football game for a coach. Um, they take a lot more time and, and you can upset, you can rattle them to the point where, you know, you can frighten them if you don't look after them. It's a bit like a young fella putting him in straight on and running him, you know, making him do all the work straight up, you know, he's going to yep. be, he's going to be fried. But, um, yeah, you definitely do got to spend a lot more time on them, even at home and here at the show. Um, like, you can ride them, you can, like... Rookie horses, you know, horses that have never, ever been started before. So most times they've been trained all the way up until a certain point where they're about to start. And then from that start, they lose a little bit of the training when they come away from home because they're looking around and they're mentally not with you. You know, they get a little bit, fr- not frightened, but, you know, they're a bit overwhelmed and, you know, that you lose a little bit of what you got at home. So you've got to build... Um, credits with them at the show as well before they start to really knuckle in and, and do their job.
0: So when a, a a younger horse, who you know is probably sort of freshly broken, arrives at your place, do you ever get nerves when you get on it thinking, I really need to be on my medal here right now because I'm not sure what this horse is going to do?
1: Yeah, no, you get some horses like that. I suppose most people let you know when you get when they're coming, um, which is quite good. People um, try to look after you, but yeah. Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, but I've been very fortunate to ride nice horses and, and yeah, they show up ready to to start training, which is probably really good for for what I do. I'm not much of a buck jump rider myself, so, yeah, I sort of like it when they don't do that, but, yeah.
0: Have you got any clients, you know, and there are lots of people in the world who love horses but don't even know which side of a horse they should get on, have you got a client like that who just likes to own a horse, who's happy to pay you to ride it, happy to pay you to campaign it, happy to pay you to show it, do everything, and they just turn up and sit in the stand and watch you?
1: No, I, I haven't got one of them, but I think, yeah, there's a lot more people doing that this day and age. They um they enjoy the sport and enjoy the horses, and, um, you know, they enjoy having a relationship with someone in that area too. You know, that gives them something to leave work on Friday and go and sit at the draft here at Paradise Lagoons. On a weekend and watch their horse go with the best of the best. But um, I got most of my clients, you know, they have their own businesses and, and can't get to campaigning their horses. So they, they come to home. And yeah, my main client, he's um, he's got a, a mining operation up at Mooran Bar. So he, you know, he spends a lot of time doing that for his family and, and, and his business. And he's got some beautiful horses sitting in the paddock that, you know, if no one campaigned them, they'd be going to waste. So I created a really good relationship with him. And, and yeah. But, no, I haven't got one that has nothing to do with horses just yet, but, yeah, there's. I'm sure there'll be one down the track there somewhere.
0: So so what does the future of Matt Moffat Performance Horses look like? Do you want to get bigger? Do you want to have a staff that work for you? Or do you think it's a, a game where if you're not the driver yourself, so to speak, then things go awry?
1: Yeah, I think, I think in any business at, at any time, I think, you've got to be the main, the main person. Um, only knowing that through growing up with my parents owning a business, you know, once the, uh, if the main person's not doing their job right, well, everyone around them doesn't either. So I'm on the stage of growing, you know, getting bigger trucks and trailers and more land and more horses and yeah, try and get staff down the track. And I'm only 21, so I don't want to sort of jump in the deep end too quickly, but, um, I'm really enjoying the process that, I'm going down, so, yeah.
0: Matt, it's probably not many weekends that you're not at a draft and your career, by your own admission, has only been short. But in that time, do you think you've seen many changes from when you were a 15-year-old who was going to have a crack at the juvenile title? Do you think a lot's changed in six short years?
1: Yes, I think I think the, the horses themselves, people are breeding them better and training them better and, you know, more people are coming on board. So, while people are coming on board, it's going to grow, um... Yeah, no, I think the horse game itself, you know, we've got big sales like Landmark and Tamworth and, and Toowoomba and I think there has been a lot of change. I think the biggest thing is a lot more people join the sport and, you know, we got to, people have got to provide horses for them as well. So, so over the,
0: the years you would have seen some funny things happen and probably had some funny things happen to yourself. Do you want to share a couple of stories about you know, what you've seen happen or what's happened to you over that
1: time? Oh, there's, yeah, I sort of can't rattle a heap off my head, but I, yeah, there's been times where you've, um, I think there's one time at Marrow I, I was leading the open there and, yeah, had a good yard and come around first, second and come up to the gate and, and my horse fell over on the line of the gate <laughs> and, um, yeah, I never ever got to win, which was unfortunate because I fell off in the gateway, but, um, I think I might've got a ribbon towards the end there, but, yeah, that was a sort of a funny moment at that point in time, but. Yeah, I, I can't really think of too many off the top of my head.
0: So, have you uh, joined the realms of a judge yet, or you? Yeah,
1: yeah, I've done. Yep, I've joined the uh, joined the committee on the on the judges' role, and had me first lap at it the other weekend at Isvald Camp Draft and, and yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: And so what were your words to the competitors as a judge? You know, you would have heard lots of times, and I guess coming through like you did, you listened closely to what judges had to tell you because clearly you went up the ranks fairly quickly and you only do that by getting high scores and you only get high scores if you do what the judge wants. So what did you say to your... Um, competitors for your first judging attempt?
1: Um, I was judging a maiden. So in the maiden, it's sort of, they're only young horses or, or horses that are coming through the ranks. it's the first one you start. And so um, I just pretty much, you know, I just like people to look after their cattle. That's the main thing because without cattle, we don't have a draft. So I wanted people to look after their cattle and, and I wanted to see horsemanship as well as course points, um, you know, the closer up the front and the more horse work you've got. The more points you're gonna get, and the same with outside. The more horsemanship, and the closer to the pegs, the more, the more increase of your score. But yeah, other than that, in a maiden, it's just sort of simple. You just yeah, they first started, so everyone sort of does tries to do the right thing by their horses, which is good to see. And um, that was sort of my words. Ride to the whip.
0: I think, uh, you know, there is there is a panel of judges and it would be fair to say that you only get on that panel if you can show some some integrity and some skill in the game yourself. And so that, again, is a huge achievement for someone who's been in the sport for such a short time to to be in that role. Are you actively involved in any committees or um, there's probably not a local Gracemere Camp Draft Association as such, but surely someone's tried to rope you in to get them to help you do
1: something? I think, um, if anything, for myself... If I can't um attend or help out anywhere, um our local sort of show is Paradox Lagoons or um Ridgelands, which is not far from Gracemere. It's not out of the way or anything. But I think if we try to help in any way, we try to sponsor something, we try to donate some money and, and that to fill in more our little bit of a spot, you because know, we got my parents have got their own business and I got mine, so it's sort of very hard to get away. But yeah, if anything we try and sponsor something to um to help out and
0: You know, I know your mum. She's immensely proud, and you know there's uh, there's nothing she loves better, and she gets so excited, and she gets a little bit teary, and she gets everything when you do well. Where do you rate her in your success?
1: Oh yeah, my, my mum and yeah, without my mum and dad, they're hundred percent my success. Um, I've got a partner, Tia. She's she's another rock. There, yeah, without them, I'm I'm no one really. I think I'm really big on believers that without good help, you can't be successful. You know, you gotta you gotta have stepping stones to be successful and. And they're definitely the main key ones that that helped me through the whole way through.
0: Obviously, you've been to thousands of drafts by now or seen thousands of camp drafters over the over the years. Probably goes without saying you're going to rate Pete and Stevie as the best you've seen, but who do you think snapping on their heels
1: oh there's a lot of young people coming through um yeah, obviously pete kamiski and steve and and Rowan marks and you know the top ten of the a c a blokes there. They're always up the top there, but there's some really good young competitors coming through like Will Durkin, uh, Morgan Marks, um Johnny Mitchell, there's yeah, they're all coming up. So yeah, hopefully them young fellas can give them old fellows a rattling down the track, but I'm sure they will at some stage but And do you still follow
0: the juvenile draft with a bit of interest, you know, if it wasn't for that for your success. And in the juvenile draft, you probably wouldn't have the business you've got. You worked hard to get that, without a doubt. So, do you follow? Do you sort of cast a glance over the the juvenile draft and the juvenile riders? And have you got any words of advice to those juvenile riders to do what you did in such a short time?
1: Um, Yeah, I I always sort of try and keep an eye out. I like seeing kids do well. I I know how big of a disappointment it was for myself when I when I didn't do well or, or things weren't going my way. So yeah, I got a couple of young little people around me that I I keep an eye out on, and I like to see them do well. So. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just you got to keep your head up and you got to keep you got to keep charging on. Like it's you know it is a sport and in any sport there's disappointment. So yeah, you just got to battle through that and um, yeah, just enjoy yourself. The biggest thing is to have fun. If without fun, I'd, you know you wouldn't do anything. So
0: mm-hmm. we go to lots of camp drafts and and you would have heard it over your time. People complain about the cattle. They're too fast. They're too slow. They're too sticky. They're too big. They're too small. There's always something. Do you subscribe to the theory that the cattle are the same for everybody and it just it just sorts those that can from those that can't?
1: Oh, for sure, that's exactly what it comes down to. Um everyone's you know, everybody's in the same in the same boat as everybody else, so you either you either learn to adapt to what's in front of you or or you're not going to do well. That's just bottom line like if you don't, it's sort of fit in or or, or not, you know. Like, you, if you want to be competitive, you've got to learn how to get them them cattle around, you know. Like, there's not many places you go where, where the cattle are that great where you need, you know, the first three places are the same school, you know. Like, you know, I'm a big one myself. I try and always get me mind in that frame, you know. you got to – everyone's doing the same thing. So, you know, if you aren't doing well, go and look at someone that's getting competitive with them cattle and watch them and see what they're doing.
0: So when you write in – to the camp, what do you look for in, the, in a beast, and do you spend lots of time sitting on up against the camp, watching the cattle before
1: your run? Some some places you go to, you know, fresh cattle come straight in, and most of the time you take your fill, like it's they're quite good, you know. So you get the opportunity to go straight straight in, you get fresh cattle, there'll be a good one, you take it straight away. But some places cattle come in a little bit scattered, and and they go back and they settle. So. At some places, you've got to you've got to watch the cattle a lot. You know, ten before you run and watch them because you know your cattle. that might come in on fresh. They might be a bit little bit rattled from being out the back or being on their own. So, um, yeah, it's definitely it just depends. It's it's your circumstances and whereabouts you are at. Um, some places you you can get away with not looking at cattle to a degree, and then other places you've got to study very hard and keep your eye on them. I've read
0: a few things and and hear him a lot. Your idle Pete Comiskey says there's a lot to be gained by sitting and watching cattle, and he's renowned for having the ability to pick good cattle in the yards. He doesn't lose many. What were his words of advice to you in, in that regard? Did he say, "Mate, you just got to sit here and watch," or this is what I look for?
1: Oh, a bit of both. We always talked about, um, you know, what he what he preferred and what he liked in, in cattle, but sometimes it's not like what you get taught sometimes not in front of you so you've got to adapt to what's in front of you which means studying you know you got to study what cattle are running um what shape they are what you know what sort of movement they've got off your off your horse while you walk in there some cattle you can't pick from the side you've got to ride through them and get a feel for them um yeah it's it's a bit of everything and it, and and the biggest thing's experience the more you get to do of it the better you become so mm. i think i've learned as i've gone along with picking cattle you know, you've got to adapt to who's going around and, and whose style of riding's winning and then, yeah, sort of work out what they're picking and, and things like that.
0: You know, you've been riding horses for a while. Have you had a couple of busters?
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> I've had a few busters. Um, yeah, I've had some touch wood. I've never had a very bad crash, but, yeah, horses, the odd horse falls over here and there and, and yeah, it's just part of the game, I think, riding animals. it's You yeah. just never know. Um, so... Every weekend, do you draft every weekend? Oh, not not as much now. I went for a, um, an associate rider title a couple of years ago and, and me and a girl were neck and neck doing it. So we travelled most weekends to a camp draft, probably 35 weeks out of the 52 for the year, um, that year. And, and this last year we didn't do as much. Um, yeah, we had a bit more work to do at home and things like that. And, and yeah, not, not every weekend now, it's just... Yeah, it just depends what's on around. You know, things got dry not long ago and and they were limited, so that sort of, you know, fixed everyone up. And then now that we've had rain, some, you know, there's 10 drafts on a weekend, so. The
0: 2019 has been a fairly kind year to you, 2018-19. You took out the associate rider title this year at Greenvale. Um, you would have had to have been very happy with that and, and I would hope quietly proud of yourself because it uh, took a lot of time and effort and energy by... Uh, by your team and yourself to, to get there. So what does uh, the next season hold?
1: Um, not quite sure yet. I think I've got another year in the associate rider again, so I'll just poke along through the year and, and see where I end up towards the end of the year and go from there sort of thing. Um, I've got a few different horses for different disciplines. I've got a couple for the Snafflebit bit for Trudy and Tamworth and, yeah, just branching out and learning more and, yeah, just learning to, to get better. That's the main thing in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I guess, you know, it's a fine balance, isn't it, in, in the life you've chosen now about running a business that makes some money and, and uh, ultimately will will pay the bills and, and create you a living versus wanting to draft all the time and, and not becoming so busy just working horses that then there's no time to, to actually go and do the do. Do you think if you don't draft, you would have a business or do you think you must continue to be seen in the arena at drafts to be able to continue to maintain your, your clientele?
1: Oh, definitely. I think the biggest thing is, you know, public eye peel, you know. People see people doing well and then they're the people that want to send horses to. So I think it's a big thing to juggle, you know, because in between your life and business at home and being away, you've got to manage your family, you've got to shine in every arena sort of thing. That's how my goal is to try and juggle it all, all evenly, you know. Stay at home, work. Have time for family, you know. Have time for camp drafting, um, have time for everybody. You know, it's sort of yeah. I see Pete Comiskey, sort of a role model of mine, and he always seems to make time for everybody. So I try and uh, I try to use that in my, in my own key.
0: Matt Moffat, you're a busy man for a 21 year old. We wish you all the best, and we wish you many more safe rides and many more
1: successes. Thank you very much, Kay, for having me. From the Saddle is brought
0: to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specializing in rural business and marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram.